Well, as Alan said, when he got us grounded in this moment this morning, our Lenten theme is an unhurried Lent, working at forming habits of grace for ordinary life. And this morning, we're going to look at ambition, as Alan said, how it can become this internal motor uh, that ends up driving us into hurry. So our readings this morning contrast uh, in the gospel, the 12, and their sort of unbridled ambition or disordered ambition. And then in the reading from Philippians 3, the well-ordered ambition of Paul. Now, I'm not sure this would be true everywhere, but I'm pretty sure in this room, in this congregation, that for most of us, since we were little children, we were taught that success is the, you know, kind of the big thing that we all should be aiming at. And that the best motivator for success is to have this really passionate ambition. And so this is pitched to us, you know, from the time we're, we're very little. But as an article I saw in Forbes this week stated, ambition can cross the line. Mutating, the author said, into arrogance and greed, two of the most destructive human impulses. It can turn to a compulsivity that leads to self-destruction Or the author said, for unbridled ambition is capable of turning on and destroying anyone. So the wrong side of ambition then drives us to act for selfish reasons, for boasting, and it ultimately leads then to sort of a bigger is better philosophy, and and that becomes a part of that engine, I think, that drives us ever more into hurry and that ends up doing more hurt and more harm than we think it might do. But I think some nuance is in order here. Uh, There's a a website called Theology of Work, where maybe it was a blogger, I forget, blogging on this website said that on the other hand, though, ambition is a part of being in the image of God. And that like work itself, ambition was placed into humanity at creation and is an innately good part of what it means to be human. For if you think about it, ambition at its best allows people to bring order to create beauty, and to generate abundance out of the natural resources of the world. But again, going back to the other side of the coin, from a psychological point of view, studies that I saw this week show that ambition may breed success, but it doesn't often bring happiness or joy. It's true that ambitious people go to better schools and tend to have higher paying jobs and more successful careers, that's true. But the psychological studies show that it doesn't seem to translate into leading a happier or healthier life. And thus, I think you can see here that there's just kind of a fight. And if you'll look at our art images up here this morning, Mark Ronsky found these for us, found this image for us that you see in the banners and on the screen. It's a painting from uh, 1559, and it's called The Fight Between Carnival and Lent. And like our readings, if you could sit in front of the whole painting, which of course you're not here, but if you could sit in front of the whole painting, you would see that the painting presents a contrast between two sides of a contemporary life. On one side of the painting, depicted by an inn, is this notion of this is a vendor. This inn represents a vendor fulfilling ambition for enjoyment. And then on the other side of the, near the other frame of the picture, you have a church which of course is meant to be like an icon of religious observance. And right in the middle of the painting, 
Surrounded by all the exaggerated, busy activity, and if you, again, if we could scope out, you'd see a lot more really busy action. There is this well and this woman looking into this bucket of water that you can see especially on our banners. And this is a great image for our Lenten focus to, in an unhurried way, still ourselves And we can't know whether what this woman's looking at, some people think she's seeing her own reflection. Others would just say that it's just that this is obviously a moment of stillness, of focusing, and of noticing whatever she was noticing. It was just noticing what's real. And we want to have this sort of a Lenten exercise in these six weeks of Lent, because this week, speaking of ambition, it's disordered ambition that often drives us into hurry and into the emotional and physical and relational pain that comes from a hurried life. Well, I want to say Jesus was often mindful of disordered ambition. What else could he have been thinking when he said, seek first the kingdom of God, if there aren't secondary or tertiary ways of having different sorts of ambitions? Or in the parable of the sower in Mark 4, Jesus says, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the ambition for other things, these choke out the word of God to us. Or it's Jesus who said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Now this all, I hope, leads us to begin to think a core thought for us this morning that the most common source of sin is the desire or ambition that is ungoverned by subjection to what is good. Again, there's nothing wrong with desire. There's nothing wrong with ambition when it is subjected to the good, when it comes under the rubric of seeking first the kingdom of God, of wanting to cultivate a good heart for the seed of God for not trying to uh, gain the world in that sense. For example, in our gospel reading this morning, where we see this well-known story of, you know, let these Jesus, let these two sons of mine sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your kingdom. So that's a good example of sort of disordered ambition. And when the ten hear it, they're mad Because they want in too. Like, how did you guys butt in ahead of us, right? It's how did you little piggies get to the trough before we did, right? So they're not indignant because they're holy. They're indignant because what the heck? Who knew that you could ask? (laughs) Like, if we would have known that, we would have asked yesterday, right? It's, It's that sort of thing. But Jesus then tries to reorder that ambition by saying to them, look, like, kind of look around you And you can see how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over their people. And their great ones exercised authority over them, for that's their ambition. Their ambition is to have power precisely so they can exercise that power over others. But Jesus says, it shall not be that way among you. Among you, whoever would be great, like if you have an ambition towards greatness, whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So what's happening here is though we're near the end of Jesus's public ministry, his first friends had not yet really grasped the true nature of the kingdom of God. 
They were thinking of it in more like we would think of as political power. And they had not yet picked up about how in Jesus, he redefines and repurposes and repractices ambition for power and authority. And the kind of drop the mic moment is, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's like the moment. That's like seals the deal. That's the moment. That's the picture. And the picture we're meant to get is that the king of this kingdom is himself a suffering servant. And if you think of that incredible picture in Revelation 5, where John sees all of cosmic history hanging in the balance, that's like an icon of this scroll, and this is all of human history, and God's purpose is in it. And remember, it's sealed. And there's no one there who can undo the seals and unscroll the sovereign purposes of God for all of human history. But then, wait. The Lion of Judah is a lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God. And it's the Lamb who comes forward into that most dramatic of all pictures in the New Testament. And it's a Lamb. It's a suffering servant. It's the meekest and sort of least of all the beasts who comes. And it's that person who has that sort of ambition to be that sort of person is the one who trusts his place to break those seals and to unfurl the divine purposes of God. Well, who was that person? He was certainly a person of well-ordered ambition. Jesus frequently said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear him saying. He says straight out, I have come only to do the will of God. I mean, he says over and over and over again, I've come to fulfill the law. His, he had an orientation that made him, you might say, a highly ambitious person, but never driven into hurry because his, his orientation towards ambition was connected to his father. And so what this passage in Matthew 20 is saying to us is that greatness is found in serving. And when that's our ambition, go for it. Right, do you know what I mean? It's just a basic orientation. Now you could still, if you're neurotic like me, drive yourself into a hurry, even in serving. But, but the point here is, that's a way better orientation than the more normal things of let me just have power for the sake of power. So the message here, I think, is something like this, that God actually wants us, all of us, to have great power and abundant authority. And he's actually working towards us becoming the kind of person who could do whatever we wanted if what we want is to take on the ambition of Jesus, to do the will of the Father, to fulfill the law. Well, earlier I cited a quote about the capacity for ambition to become you know, poisonous and, and create in us a kind of compulsivity. Well, we might wonder then, especially some of us with certain temperaments, well, then is complacency the antidote to this poison? And our reading from Philippians 3 says, no, of course, that's not the case. For Paul says, look, whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. And so we begin to get a hint here of what Paul's ambitions were. It was all somehow caught up in Christ. He goes on to say strong things like, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth. I mean, just play with those two words for a minute. The surpassing worth. I mean, what would, how, like, can you see how that organizes and zips up and focuses Paul's ambition. 
the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says straight out, here's my ambition. I want to know Christ. And he says, that organizes my life such that I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So this one thing I do, he says, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Now that's godly ambition. That, that's ambition that's well-ordered. And this, of course, creates a Paul. A Paul whose life was well-grounded and focused and unhurried because he had these, this sort of Christ-centered ambitions. Nothing dulled his eagerness for Jesus. In fact, he says in the passage, everything else to him was garbage. And the bit about the resurrection in this passage is really important. I don't have time to get into it much, but the mental picture you're meant to get is this, that because Paul had such 100% confidence in the resurrection, he knew his future was not in doubt. Now just think, my future is in doubt. Therefore, I have to scramble to have some ambitions that secure my future. That's the motor that drives us into hurry. We'll come to resurrection in a few weeks on Easter, but this morning, let me just say, Easter is not just this little doctrine that allows us to apologetically prove that people should believe in Jesus. It's a lifestyle. It's meant to fund a lifestyle. How's Paul so sure about the resurrection? Doctrinally? No, he's experienced the, the resurrected Christ. He wants to know Christ, and he is knowing Christ. And then that, that allows him to know that my future is secure. Therefore, I don't have to live in disordered desires. I don't have to live under the tyranny of my wants or disordered ambitions. And that begins to shut the motor down that otherwise drives us into hurry. So his mind then wasn't distracted by earthly things, he says, not attuned to mere human achievement, as we read early in the passage. Rather, Paul had this godly ambition that led to his striving, his pressing on towards those two words of the surpassing worth of knowing and gaining Christ, of being faithful in Paul's own sense of his earthly role as a servant of Christ. So as we're doing in this series on an unhurried Lent, now this morning particularly learning to pay attention to our ambitions and how they become a motor that drives us into hurry. What this actually is, I think, as I sat with it this week, is an invitation to revalue all my values. Right? We have these sort of free-floating values, but how do they add up to a coherent life? And, and that requires a revaluing of our values. And it's then, therefore, I think, an invitation to make everything subordinated to gaining Christ for the sake of being his cooperative friends in the world. I want to lead us into a, a moment of quiet reflection here, and uh, I want to do so. Um, I have a document that I keep on my desktop that's just got some prayers in it that I have used for years and years and years. And one of them is this very famous quote from Thomas Akempis. And to be honest, I, I'm learning to live into this. I don't commend it to you because I'm perfect at it, but it is something that I use very, very frequently to help me pay attention to what can be in me, disordered ambitions. Thomas Akempa said, choose always to have less than more. Seek always the lower place and to be under all. 
Desire always to pray that the will of God be all and wholly done. And this is so imaginative, so evocative, at least for me, that along that way, we enter into the land of peace and quiet. So, Thomas, how is it that we get to the land of peace and quiet? Choose always to have less than more. Seek always the lower place and to be under all. Desire always to pray that the will of God be all and wholly done. Along that way, we enter the land of peace and quiet. And bow your heads with me and allow yourself to hear these words, not intellectually, but imaginatively. To hear them evocatively. Choose always to have less than more. Seek always the lower place and to be under all. Desire always to pray that the will of God be all and wholly done. Along that way, we enter the land of peace and quiet.